greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about two films, a little bit different from each other, two different complete genres. Uh, We're going to be talking about 2018's Prospect and uh, 2018's Reprisal, Uh, one being a sci-fi film and one being that more kind of uh, a robbery thriller uh, bank uh, type movie, bank heist. Um, so this week I'm joined by Leslie again. Hello, Leslie. Hello, hello. Um, you're, you're filling in right now since, uh, Patrick is on his honeymoon, uh, with his new wife, Izzy and Aruba and congrats to them both. Yes. It was, it was a very nice wedding. Although right before they were, um, asked to kiss each other, there was a train that went off during the ceremony. So (laughs) that was a nice memorable, memorable moment for everyone. Um, But they're also being very classy. Uh, I know that they went down and ate at Hooters Aruba uh, on their honeymoon. So they're, they're definitely classing it up down there uh, (laughs) on their honeymoon. But uh, yes, he should be back maybe next week's episode or the episode after that. But I think we're, we're probably still going to have you on uh, for the most part. I think uh, everyone's really enjoyed having you on here and hearing your perspective. Um, so it's always great to have you on here. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and, and jump right into it. We're going to go ahead and play the trailer for Prospect. Um, go ahead to give you a little bit about the premise for it is a teenage girl and her father travel to a remote alien moon uh, aiming to strike it rich. They've secured a contract to harvest a large deposit of the elusive gems hidden in the depths of the moon's toxic forest. But there are others roving the wilderness and the job quickly devolves into a fight to survive forced to contend not only with the forest's other ruthless inhabitants, but with her own father's greed addled judgment, the girl finds she must carve her own path to escape. So with that, we will play the trailer. Nowhere. Capoeira. 
So that was the trailer for Prospect. Um, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over here to Leslie uh, to talk about the movie for a bit. Okay. Well, if you liked Firefly, I think you'll like this movie. I really liked Firefly, and Prospect has that um, Old West vibe to it. You know, it's the Old West meets the future. They have kind of all their countryisms, you know, quote unquote, when they talk about throwers instead of calling it a gun. Um, it's a gold rush for those gems that, that are in that moon. And overall, I've, I really feel like somebody could tell me this would fit into that um, universe and I would believe it. Uh, I Again, I really enjoyed it because I really liked Firefly. Again, kind of like with Vast of Night, I really liked the background music because there were definitely places where I felt the background music really enhances what's going on on the screen, and I really enjoy that. I like it when the music enhances and it doesn't hinder or it's just there and dead. Um, there were a couple of parts kind of in the middle of the movie where I felt it kind of fell flat a little bit, lost its pace, slowed you down. That might have been what they were going for or what the director was going for, but I feel like those pieces could have been tweaked to kind of keep the action up or keep your tenseness up a little more, keep the, the conflict going, that suspense. Um, there are a few things where I feel like if you are not up in the sci-fi genre and you kind of are already uh, have an under a basis of understanding for general tropes and things where they could have explained some things to the audience better, but they kind of went with the assumption that you know what's going on. You understand, you know, that the, they're wearing suits but not carrying oxygen because they don't need to carry oxygen. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that, again, they could have explained better to the audience if they just had maybe a, an exposition line or two. Um, overall... 
I enjoyed it. And it is something like, I, w- I wouldn't say I'd buy like a DVD or anything of it, but I'd keep it as part of my digital library. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on almost every um, aspect of it. I, I do think um, it's really an actual Western it's just told in space, essentially. Um, it, Like you said, it really kind of fits into that Firefly universe, which I've just recently I've been rewatching. Um, it, it, it does have that, that kind of ring and tone to it. Um, what I really think is kind of interesting is I almost view this as a sci-fi version of True Grit. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen True Grit, but I've seen both the original with... Um, uh, John Wayne and the uh, the remake that the uh, Coen brothers did with um, Jeff Bridges. Uh, and there are a lot of kind of similarities in some sense. I think that Pedro Pascal's character is almost like Rooster Cogburn, but in a different light. Um, a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, Pedro Pascal's character kills uh, C's dad near the beginning, so it's not too much of a spoiler. Um, but then they're in it together, you know, like they are trying to survive on this moon and get off this moon together. Uh, so it's kind of falls in line with that, where in True Grit, it's a woman who's actually hiring Rooster to go and hunt down the man that killed her father. Um, so there's slight parallels and differences there. But um, I, I also agree the score was very good. Uh, it does drop off in the middle. And once we get kind of into our discussion part of this, I, I do have some questions for you because there were there's one particular scene that doesn't really fit for me. I think in the entire movie, I, I get what it was trying to do. Um, it's trying to show whether or not C can trust Ezra, um, you know, with kind of the agreement that they have. But it for the overall context for the story, it didn't quite makes sense for me. And again, there's an, even the scenes near the end, there are some things that don't fit. But uh, I think also another interesting aspect of this film is it actually, as you say, kind of could fit in the Firefly universe. Um, there's a video game that came out within the past year called Outer Worlds, which is kind of very Firefly-esque, um, although I think it has more dark humor to it. Uh, and it's I would say that this movie kind of fits more into that because there's a lot about corporations kind of running the things out there in space. And like you have everyone divided into these factions and, you know, they're mining for a particular thing or a particular substance. But I still I really liked it. I think it's a very smart um, sci fi movie. It's trying to ground things in the most way of realism like when they're in space you know there's not not that they spend a whole lot of time in space but there's you know very minimal sound because you wouldn't have that much like you get in firefly and in the expanse um but it it's very tight in the story it tells um i mean it it does not tarry on or it doesn't really try to get long in the tooth i do think like you said some exposition scenes would have been more important um, maybe to set up the overall universe, because I think that that's where it's really underdeveloped is you, like you said, you know, those kind of sci-fi tropes and you're okay, but we need to kind of know more about how things function in this world, because there are a few, a few things that I get really questionable about. Um, 
And I think there are also some moments that n- just needed a little bit more detail. But uh, other than that, I, ag- I agree. So um, my questions to you, because mm-hmm. I know you, you I think you got this watch twice. I, I got the last 30 minutes rewatch because that's where I had kind of missed some things when I was watching it. What purpose um, did that group that they come across in the middle of the film, what purpose do they really serve? Yeah, those the weird religious sect that they come across. Yes. I feel like the point of it was again, like you said, to show to give to give C some conflict. Can she trust Ezra or not? And then also to continue with um, Ezra's wound and and play that forward. But other than that, I don't really feel like they had much of a purpose. I think tweaking that whole piece, you know, could have made it more intense or something. I'm trying to think, how would I tweak it? And I don't really even know. But it was so odd. It was so strange that they were just randomly there, like this weird cult. And they just wanted her, I guess, to be their new mother who would start having all their babies. Right. Yeah. That see. And I how I would have worked this if if I were if I were writing this movie is I would have made them pretty much the the central antagonist for the rest of the movie, because other than this particular scene, they have no other purpose that serves in the movie. Um, I I would think that, uh, again, getting a little bit into spoiler territory, although it was was played in the trailer um, when they make the offer to Ezra for C um, and he goes, you know, that's a very intriguing offer. We, if he decides, you know, okay, I'm going to protect this girl. I've already made a contract with her and they go run off. I would have thought that the, the impetus being on that group, they really need a new female to birth more of them. They would then be chasing them for the rest of the movie. But yeah, and maybe would have been impactful too if we had shown them come across her with her father, and you know, at some point, or see them land or something, so right. that they've been aware that she's out here the whole time. Right, and and like there, and I also have this kind of problem with so they've got to wear their you know helmets on this on this moon because it's toxic air, but yet when they're in the settlements, and I might have just missed this from my watching they don't need their helmets. So I don't know how they're filtrating the air inside their structures. Cause they didn't look yeah. like from, metal from the structures. Through what I understood it to be is, you know, when you're, when you're watching those first scenes, when they're on the ground and you kind of see all these dust particles, mm-hmm. I think that's the point is that there's so much dust particles that you can see and some that you can't, that the filter is just trying to, is filtering out that okay so that they breathe the air does that make sense that that does make sense um that that was probably a detail that i i was not quite grasping um my next kind of issue is the final scenes um it's not so much what they have to do um but it's it's more the man in the glass case yeah um i one i I didn't understand for at first until they kind of explained it a little bit. I thought it was an actual like native of the planet because of the way that he's colored. He's got this pink on him. Um, and then they kind of mentioned that, no, it was part of their job uh, before they found this, uh, you know, 
rich vein of the material that they're that they're down there to mine um that he's here for he did something horrible i also think i missed but i think i can extrapolate what happened is how he got out of there did she release him um by shooting at the cage and then that's why he doesn't attack her or did i miss something else I I don't know how we got out of there either. I assumed that in all of the firefight when they're that his cage got busted open okay. somehow. Okay, because like it just because I mean I even understand because the well I guess it would make more sense that she somehow released him because of how when she's walking back to basically the way off the planet, he just lets them go. And I'm thinking that was because, hey, you helped me out. I'm I'm going to let you go. But it, it was a little confused there. Um, yeah. But I I will say this, like Pedro Pascal was fantastic. The only issue I had with his character is he acts like the Mandalorian in it. Or rather, he acts in the Mandalorian how he acts in Prospect. Like there's very little differentiation how he delivers his lines. Actually, the characters are almost very similar. They're pretty much mercenaries. They're out to do their own well-being, but then they come across something that they develop a bond with and they want to protect that that thing. And so it was very kind of hard for me to differentiate that. But he was fantastic in the movie. Um, yeah. Well, if you think about if you had seen this first before you saw Mandalorian, kind of that's probably how, you know, casting and Dave Filoni and John Favreau and et cetera, et cetera, all saw it. Oh, very much so, because it, like like we've said, this is very much a Western film just set in the future. Um, you know, even just the title prospect, like you said, it's a gold rush. They're there for these uh I assume that it's actually organic because it sounds like they're actually cutting from creatures that are hidden in the dirt. And that's that what it looks like. Yeah. And that they're like, they have to do this specifically to actually extract it without damaging it. Um, we don't really know, at least I, I didn't catch it. Um, what these things are good for. Are they, you know, good for fuel? Are they just good because it's like, like we like it's a virtual gold rush pretty much um is it just that is it just something that's a mineral that they can you know exchange like gold um but it it, it's still very strong i think it's very well acted one thing i I do want to mention is it's actually nice to see jay duplass on screen for once because if you're not familiar with him uh him and his brother mark duplass uh, have directed a lot of indie films mark acts more than Jay does in, in films and TV shows. Uh, Mark is on the show, the league. Uh, he was in uh, Goliath season two. He's been in a bunch of different movies like safety, not guaranteed, which is on Netflix. And I highly recommend anyone who's a fan of, uh, quirky kind of sci-fi time travel movies that that's really up their road. It's got, it's got a great cast, but, um, it was really nice to see now Jay kind of entering into, the acting scene a little bit more because he did such a really good job. I think as her father for as little screen time as he actually has, I really liked his character, which I mean, he's not, he's probably not a great father, but he did such a good job as playing the father, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause when I watched it the couple of times I've, 
I like his acting, but as far as the character, I'm like, you're a crappy father. <laughs> <laughs> Dragging I didn't your daughter really all like around. him. His the character of C's father. I didn't feel like he was um, putting her best interests at heart. No, I mean, and that's and I think that's kind of why uh, C ends up developing a relationship with the man who killed her father because I think she views it as. Well, first, she's very upset about it, obviously. She loses her father. It's it's the only person she has left in the world. But uh, as their time grows on and the connection that she develops with Ezra, Ezra doesn't really um, want her to dismiss her own dreams. Like, there's the whole bit about her... Um, in love, like rereading that one novel over and over so much. So she's memorized it. And now she's kind of rewriting it in a way that she can insert herself because it was a, it's a form of escapism. I mean, we all have those kind of comfort books that we read. I think for me, it yes. was Harry Potter when I was younger reading the Sorcerer's Stone, um, because it was like this fantastical world. And it was a school at Hogwarts was where I wanted to go. And I would love to have inserted my there myself into it. And the streamer girl book series that she reads that she has inserted herself into because she has nothing else. She doesn't really have friends. She has no social life. It's just her and her father. And he dismisses that um, and says, you need to focus on your actual skills and in, in, in your field. And Ezra really is more, hey, do what you want to do. Like you are your own person. Do what you love to do. And I think that she ends up finding in Ezra the father figure she always wanted in her own father. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Because I think it was easier for her to develop the bond with Ezra because while he, he, like he said, it's technically correct that he killed her father, but he actually, when you watch it, kind of spoiler alert, his partner is the one who actually shoots her dad, and then he just kind of finishes him off and doesn't let him sit there and suffer. But right. uh, it, so he he's not the one who outright did it, if that makes sense. But he instigated it. He yeah he instigated it. But it, I when you watch the confrontation of that scene, you know, and she's saying, "Dad, do we need to do this?" He's like, "Listen to her." You, you know, he gives it. He gives him every out to not you know, go after his his gold quote-unquote, is it called Oralac? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Not after his, he's like, you know, take it. I don't know if they would have continued to follow them or not, but he gave him every opportunity to not, and her father still chose to to go through with this. And then it became, you know, him being killed. But I think as they progressed, you know, through their situation, and even with their weird situation with the religious cult, C was able to develop a better bond with Ezra because he actually kept his word, you know? Right. Well, and that's, and I, that's, I, I think we've, we've already mentioned it that, you know, that was kind of the primary purpose of that scene was to test that bond. It was for her, it was a test of whether or not she can trust him. And as it turns out, yes, she can. He, he, it may have looked like it crossed his mind, but I don't think he really ever had the intent um, because what good would it have done him to have all that or lack without really having any means to do anything with it here? He's, you know, got a contract with somebody and he's trying. And I think he does 
feel responsible for the death of her father. And I think that that's his driving motivation, although he's not really a a good guy. He might be a good man at heart. Like he's got a very strong moral code when it comes to certain things. And uh, I, I think that that's what was the most interesting part about this film was that relationship. I just think that it didn't have a strong enough antagonist for the rest of the film. I, I really do think that that cult should have been what was chasing them through to the end and them basically by the end getting to their salvation, getting off the planet um, or the moon. So for me, I, I, on a rating scale, I would say that this one, uh, I, I'm falling between a three and a three and a half out of five. Um, Cause it, it's, it's really well done and the effects are all really good. I think I wanted more sci-fi into it and maybe just a tad bit less Western. Um, not that I, I really dislike the Western aspect to it, but I, I wanted to see a little bit more, I guess, sci-fi um, technology and visuals. But I know that, you know, you can only do so much with a budget uh, and so I, I, I still really like it. I would highly recommend it. If you're a fan of sci-fi, go check it out. Um, as far as rating for me, I would go ahead and give it a four. Again, if anybody who's listened to this podcast so far knows, I have a lot of leeway for sci-fi. <laughs> it's, it's my thing. I really like it. So as far as, as a sci-fi film, I'd go ahead and give this a four. I really enjoyed it. And like we have said, if you really like Firefly, I think you'll probably really enjoy this movie. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us on Prospect. So now we're going to move into a review of Reprisal, which is uh, a 2018 movie as well with Bruce Willis, um, which sadly to say, to give a little bit of hint of what I'm going to talk about on this, um, he is not actually the highlight of the film. Um, so before we move into the trailer, we'll go ahead and talk about the premise. Uh, a bank manager haunted by a violent heist that took the life of a co-worker teams up with his ex-cop neighbor to bring down the assailant, initiating an explosive counterattack that brings all three men to the breaking point. So with that, we will play you the trailer. It's all over the news. I just keep seeing it over and over again. Break it down for me. Violent and tactical gear head to toe. He had index cards. He was in, he was out. If you ever want to talk, I'll be here for you. Are you okay? I should have done something. If you had done something, you wouldn't be here right now. We're hoping you can help us here, Mr. Tasker. This guy knew your facility inside out. The exact location of that locker. I can't make a move until the feds clear me. You reach out to you at all? This is a robbery. You just want to clear your name. Yeah, of course. I need you back. It's the same guy for each one of these things. Three quick heists. He's following a pattern. This is the guy. And we're going to have to fix this. This guy's following an armored car. Stay armed. I remember 
bank. You call the police, and your wife and daughter will suffer before they die. He's in my house, man. We gotta get over there. Christina? Sophia? Put the shotgun on the table. You wanna talk with somebody, you talk to me. Behind my back. You can just give me a gun. I just gave you twenty. So that was the trailer for Reprisal, and there's a specific reason we wanted to cover this on the podcast. Um, The uh, movie itself takes place in Cincinnati, which is where both Leslie and I currently work. Although with the whole pandemic stuff, we are working at home, but we've both been working downtown for a few years now. And even back in high school, I worked down at the ballpark for the Reds um, for a few years. So it's really nice to see a movie set in an area that you're familiar with uh, because you can pick up on the landmarks and the streets and stuff like that. Um, So there have been two movies made recently within the past few years that are set in Cincinnati. One was Marauders, which also starred Bruce Willis, and this being Reprisal, uh, which stars Bruce Willis. I would say out of the two, this is the better movie, but there are certain issues I have with this movie. I will say that it starts off very strong and it ends very strong, but the middle really kind of leaves uh, something wanting. Um, We don't get any real motivations for the bank robber. Um, we get hints at some stuff, but we don't really quite know why he's doing it. So I think like we needed to know why, uh, he was doing these robberies. Cause it's not that he just does robberies in Cincinnati, but he's done it in other States and he hits specific stores and he knows the layouts and everything like that. Um, we get a good motivation for Frank Grillo's character, who is, is the main character, Um, as he's the bank manager who gets robbed at the very beginning and um, is kind of placed on administrative leave because they think he might have had something to do with it because the robber knew all these intimate details. So he takes it upon himself to uh, try to clear his own name and actually on his own, foolishly, tries to capture this bank robber. Um, But there's a lot of just missed plot points, uh, parts that could have done with a little more fleshing out. It's a very short movie. It's just about an hour and a half long. Um, They also get something really wrong for me, which I, it shouldn't bother me as much as it does, but at the, the movie takes place during July and the end of the movie jumps six months later, which would put us in about January or February. And Jacob, Frank Grillo's character, is dressed in a short sleeve shirt and jeans and he's got some sweat stains and it looks like it's nice and sunshine out. And it's like that's not typical Ohio weather during that time of the year. So they really didn't get their timeline right. But a lot of things I do like about this movie are 
Um, I think the action scenes themselves are very well done. I love all of the cityscape shots. There's one in particular shot where it's coming from Kentucky. It's at night. The city is lit up. The tower, which we work in, is lit up. And it actually almost looks like some other city. Like, it almost doesn't even look like Cincinnati at that point. It's a very beautiful shot. Um, I also like, uh, there's one car chase in particular, or not even really a chase. It's when he's tailing um, what who he thinks is the robber uh, down Marion Way. And I've driven Marion Way so many times, and... Uh, so I knew every single part that they hit and they went right past the ballparks and everything. Um, and I also like kind of the climax scene taking place down at the banks because um, we've been down there several times on work lunches and, and whatnot. So the things that I, I think don't really work in this is this is not Bruce Willis at his finest. I, I felt like he was really phoning in his scenes. Now he's, got only a minor role in the movie but he's supposed to play this kind of sounding board for jacob and to be like hey this isn't a good idea or what about this or have you thought about that and so i was very disappointed in him i i think that this movie could have probably been a lot better without him in it um but that's about what i've got to say over my general thoughts uh so leslie what did you think of the movie Oh, yeah, I agreed with a lot of what you said. I know you can't see me because it's radio, but I'm sitting here nodding along with a lot of the comments that you were making. Um, I broke my stuff up into a couple of parts. So Cincinnati, I I love it as the background. A lot of beautiful shots. I liked the shot that you pointed out during night. I also liked a lot of the overhead. It looks like kind of drone footage um, during the day had some really nice shots of the tower that we work at. Um, I have a question for any listeners. You can write in if you're in a larger city and you see your city in film and TV a lot, like New York, I don't know, L.A., Philadelphia, Chicago, whatever. Does it get old after a while or is it still cool like every time when I'm like, oh, there's that street. Oh, there's that building. I've been there. Write in. I'd like to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So the other stuff, I had a lot of comments on the banking stuff that was in here. Uh, as far as the tone that they were trying to set, and he, Jacob, is is the banker. I'm like, is he the bank manager? They don't really point it out well enough to me. What does he do at the bank? That he has like a gardener and a housekeeper and his fancy house and the cars and stuff. I'm like... Are they trying to get us to sympathize with him a lot, but then showing he's financially struggling? But, like, they don't give you enough details to really know what's going on in his life. Um, a lot of the bank stuff that they had was normal. Uh, you know, always having two people go into the vault, things like that. But there's here's one comment for you. Any other bank people, when the teller opens her top drawer to fill up the two bags for the robber, did anybody else freak out and go, oh, my God, she has way too much money in her top drawer? (laughs) That was the first thing. As soon as she pulled it open, I was like, if I was her manager, I'd be all over her to get that money out of her top drawer. And it's not because you're hiding it from the robber, but you're not supposed to have that much money in the top drawer where you're generally um, cashing checks and things like that. And, um... Let's see. They left the people in the bank um, after the robbery. The people who were, when the robbery scene was going on, there were some people who were just left alone. 
and, and the robber is elsewhere and the other people are all totally alone. So I'm like, why, what are they doing? Why aren't they trying to get out? Why don't they just pick up telephones? They kind of give you a little bit of that, but you're in this, this building with a lot of other um, tenants also in the building. There was, there was just so many ways I was thinking these people could be getting out of this building and he's not monitoring them at all that the police could have been there so much faster. I don't know. I was confused about that whole sequence because they only show you him closing one door. And if any place is a good place, you have more than one way to get out. I don't know. So I was confused about that. Um, one of the bank managers made made a, you know, a comment about, well, the vault's on a timer. I can't open it for you, which is a typical thing that you would probably say. But we actually did, when I worked at the bank, have a timer on the vault, but it was for overnight stuff. So the timer would be on set at 6 p.m. and then you can't really, doesn't matter how many times you do the combination or put in the keys, it's not gonna open until the timer comes off at 6 a.m. Um, that's kind of what I have as far as overall, if you wanna kinda get into some back and forth. Yeah, um, so yeah, there there are a lot, I mean, I pretty much agree with you on, on some of the stuff too. Like I don't know more of the banking aspect because I've never, never worked in the banking uh, industry, but I think as her, um, the reason why they, they couldn't like find another way out was because they even show like the plans and they even have, uh, Jacob, like Mark of where his position was at when, you know, the, the robber disappeared, the plans themselves kind of like showed that where they were at in the building was like basically at the back and, um, that there was this other in like side entrance or back entrance, but that was past the glass doors into the actual bank area. So I think that that's why they couldn't do anything else to escape. Cause they had, he had that big giant, like mag lock on the doors. Um, but you know, I, I felt like they were trying to make us empathize with, uh, the robber played by Jonathan shake, uh, a lot because there's the scenes with his father and his father was like a war vet and had like dementia or something. And, like you get the kind of the idea that the reason he's doing this is to pay for his father's care, but it's never explicitly explained, right? Like you didn't. Yeah, pick up nothing's anything. nothing's ever explicitly explained. And at some point in the movie, when I'm just like I'm trying to fill in the blanks, you know, the plot point blanks for myself, I I had wondered when we first got introduced to the father character if maybe it was Bruce Willis's character had done something to the father's character, and then we were going to kind of have this sort of, uh, you know, antagonist relationship between them because then the robber was going to find out that Jacob was friends with this guy. And I don't know, I was trying to come up with something but because it was never giving me anything. Right. And I even was like stretching it a little bit further than that because it looked like almost every, it, um, they do the, like a little bit of a background on his father. Uh, and I was thinking, okay, well, wait, did his father get screwed by the bank that, uh, Jacob worked at or is every place that he's hit been responsible for something that was done to his father because there was a whole thing about his father having these warehouses and that's where he was doing all of his kind of infiltration training and timing everything out but it's never really well explained like you you only get snippets and then by the end of it you're just like wait actually I think he just wants the money like there is no altruistic meaning behind him doing these robberies like you might think it's for his father but at some point 
wouldn't you just be like, okay, I get it. I'm out all this money. I'm going to go hit somewhere else now. Like it's, I, I know somebody got it. I recognize this guy from, from my bank robbery earlier. I'm just going to hit somewhere else because I don't need any extra stress. I don't need to try to reach out and do anything further. And then they also tried to put in a gray area there for Jacob because like you said, he's under that financial strain and he has that money and he's like, Ooh, I'm going to hold on to it instead of turning it in, which I would think is actually wrong because I think if you turn in money from like a bank robbery or heist, you end up getting more in rewards or at least enough in rewards for turning that money in than you would just keeping that money. Um, so I was really disappointed in Bruce Willis in this movie. I, I love him in about anything I watch him in, but every scene I just saw him, there were only maybe, I think there were two or three scenes I think he did fine in. I think it was the kind of the introduction scene when Jacob's leaving to work in the morning at the very beginning, and he makes a joke about him being an old man. Uh, when he comes over to console Jacob after the robbery and the final sequence at the end uh, at the banks. Like, other than that, I just... A lot of it is him just repeating stuff and doing nothing but standing in a house. Yeah, you know, this whole thing had a vibe to me of being a made-for-TV movie special. I you know, of, of, like, a, a, I don't know, maybe it, it was a crime show that followed Bruce Willis's character, and this is, like, the end cap, the movie special of him passing on the torch. Right. But I could definitely see this as, like, yeah, this was the made-for-TV movie special of this cop show or something. Right, and, and like, they also have... Not to like spoil the ending or anything, but like what they have Jacob do at the end, they only vaguely mention anything about his father being in a particular industry and that he never wanted Jacob to go that way or Jacob never wanted to go that way. But then by the end of the movie, after everything that's done, like a lot of that just doesn't quite make any logical sense. Um, yeah, it, it's it's fine, but it doesn't really follow with anything else. You know, it just felt like it was a tacked on ending that they wanted to do with it. And just to give some closure to the rest of the movie, uh, I also think that they were a little weak on development of the family. Um, I mean, they obviously they set up certain things at the beginning with the daughter uh, having um uh, diabetes and needing her insulin shots, but like they don't really play too much of an important role in the movie until n the end of the film. Like it, it just, it just feels really weird. And then also uh, Bruce Willis at the end telling the cop to like, leave them alone, uh, you know, because they've already been through enough. It's like a uh, cop's got to do what a cop's got to do. Like he's yeah. going to have to ask them questions, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you have any other uh, things that you want to go back and forth on. No, nothing I can think of. There's really not much here to work with. No, it's it's like for what it is as a movie, it's uh, very tight. There's not a whole lot of uh, exposition. There's not a whole lot of just scenes that are, are there to kind of fill in everything else. But... Besides those things, it is really nice. Like you said, you know, those, those cities that get constantly represented in film 
if you're a resident or a local of that area, do you get really tired of seeing it on film? Because we we don't like we Cincinnati in general is just really ridiculous about filming and taxing and stuff like that. And I think it's almost a, a gold mine for films to be done in because it's it's beautiful beautiful city it's not as big as something like chicago or or like new york or boston but it's got its own natural charm to it and i really wish we could start having more movies there that are actually set there now they've done some things like they did the netflix uh ted bundy movie they filmed some of it in cincinnati but it's supposed to be like florida or something um in the movie so it's not really representative of cincinnati as a city and even why I would rank this higher than Marauders is because Marauders only has like a couple scenes set in Cincinnati and uh, they also misrepresent Westchester because it's actually like 4th Street, but they're saying they're in Westchester, Ohio, which is, you know, a little bit further uh, north. And um, but this movie is actually set there. It's you're driving through the streets we drive every day or you're seeing locations and locales that you see, that we see every day on, on our work basis or if we're going down to the banks and having dinner. Like seeing the art house there was really cool. Seeing Sawyer Point and uh, the uh, Cincinnatius or whatever statue when they're having the little confrontation under the, under the bridge. Yeah. And it's just really cool to kind of see those moments. Now, one thing that did kind of bother me and I... I don't know if if you picked up on this, but I I did. The uniforms that the the CPD are wearing are not the actual uniforms for CPD. I don't think so. When I had my accident um, on uh, 5th and and Broadway, uh, and I had to talk to the officers after the the guy ran the red light and um, I hit him, uh, they were just normal police officer uniforms. These had, like, really weird, like, red shoulder badges or something uh with it that just looked really odd to me um well i think i think the cop maybe it was costuming because i also um pointed out to you i think they were using all the old cars too because those aren't the typical cars that they drive around yeah i figure you know we don't have uh enough budget to use one of the newer uh cincinnati police cars to be shot up or car wrecked (laughs) into car chases uh and get them fixed very easily but it's still like that's why even though this may not be a very strong movie and I and I probably land on a fairly low rating for it, I could rewatch it um, and it will hold a special place just because it it is in Cincinnati and they do some beautiful, beautiful shots of the city. And it's just nice to kind of even though this didn't get a theatrical release or a wide release, it's nice to actually see our city represented in film. Um, so I think as a rating score for me, I'm going to land on a two and a half out of five. Um, there, I think the acting for Frank Grillo and Jonathan Shake was really good, but it's, it's the writing where it really suffers. There's just not enough character development. There's not enough exposition on the motivation for the robber. There are these random plot points that are all kind of set up at the beginning, but then don't go anywhere for the rest of the film. Even the whole financial crisis thing that he's facing doesn't really seem to be that important of a factor. Um, 
And and like you said, what does he do to have this very nice because it's a nice house. I don't even know if that house is actually in Cincinnati or in the, the suburbs of Cincinnati, but it's a nice house. And you have to be making in a lot of money just to even be making the house payments, let alone paying for a gardener, paying for a cleaner. And what did he do to then get himself in this financial state as it is uh, to now have to worry about money? But they just don't do enough explaining for that. They just they really just focused on, hey, we've got a bank robber. We got this guy. He's not cop, but he's got a cop friend. They're going to go after him. And bada bing, bada boom. Like, that's just that's it was like someone just going, OK, I got a skeleton of a movie. Let's just go with the skeleton and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with all that and land on a 2.5 as well. I think they got Bruce Willis because, oh, he's, you know, action movie hero, diehard, you know, whatever. And they just popped him in there. He's in the trailer. I think in the trailer, it actually looks like he'd have more of a role right. and be an important uh, character. But he, he really is. It's basically a cameo, yeah. <laughs> a spread out cameo. Um, the only thing when I'm watching it is I see him and I want to watch the fifth element (laughs) (laughs) just because that's one of my favorites, but yeah, it's a two and a half and it really, maybe it might get a three for the background shots of Cincinnati the whole time I'm going, Oh, there's that street. And Oh, there's this really nice shot of this, but, uh, it, Two and a half for all of the all of the things you said. It's not developed character wise. It's the plot's not developed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and and I also um, I also have to wonder how much or how often were we in the tower when they were shooting that movie? <laughs> yeah, know? I know that we received the email that said, you know, there will be simulated gunfire, blah right. blah 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 blah. But I don't I don't know how long we were in there because we also got a second email when they were over at the park, you know, that there will be simulated gunfire, blah, 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 you know. But it was just kind of cool to kind of think like we might technically be in that movie, even though we're not really in that movie, just (laughs) because we're, you know, you only see our office building, (laughs) but it's, it's kind of nice to think like, Oh, we were in there while they were filming this, but yeah, anybody who's curious will dox ourselves. Our our tower is the one that has the tiara on top. Yes. Well, we're only slightly doxing ourselves. I think we've talked <laughs> enough that we're in Ohio and near Cincinnati, but we've not really specifically said where we live. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really think uh, it, it's, a, it's an action movie to turn your brain off to if you don't want to take something too seriously and you just want to have something to kind of zone out from the pandemic and – just want to watch a, a quick action film. You, you got a good one here I'm in, in that aspect. Like, um, I think the one scene that really annoys me the most about this movie is uh, you think it's like it's finally Bruce Willis time when he's going into the house because, you know, he gets the call from Jacob that uh, the, the robber has his family and he gets a shotgun ready and then he's in there and then all he has to all he can do is stay there. <laughs> It's like he doesn't even do anything until later near the end of the movie. It just, like you said, it felt like a glorified cameo. But there's nothing wrong with uh, with having entertainment that may not fire on all cylinders, but is a good movie to just 
zone out everything else out. Right now, we're living in a very contentious time. We've got a lot of social and economic issues. We have uh, everyone still kind of in lockdown, even though some states have might more, have, might have more flexibility. Um, it's it's something, and especially it being free on Prime to watch right now. I believe it's still free on Prime. Um, you know, you're not wasting any money if you've got Prime to check it out. Uh, so it, it would be good for just an afternoon watch with with some friends and you know have some drinks. Uh, nothing to take too seriously, but yeah, kind of uh, have a Bruce Willis party, like yeah. watch various movies that he's done. Watch this one too. It's not terrible. No, it just it just has issues, and um, like like we've talked about with with this podcast, like it, the whole point of it being, we can be critical about uh, about a movie, but just because we have some issues with the writing or maybe pacing or acting there can still be moments that you can enjoy about the film, particularly for you and I, it's the shots of Cincinnati. It's a movie taking place in Cincinnati. We can forgive probably quite a few of the, the problems with the movie because for us, it's nice to see, uh, at least on my 65 inch TV versus in a big screen in a movie theater, uh, to see the city on the big screen. Um, so, uh, with that said, I think we have reached the end of the podcast. Um, I don't have any news or info to talk about. I think Pat may be back on the next one I mentioned earlier. I believe our next episode, we might be talking about Vivarium. Um, but we have some other things I know that we want to we wanna cover here. But if you, the audience, have anything that you want us to cover, I think I'll be putting a tweet out here uh the day this episode releases that we might start taking some listener suggestions. Uh, you guys recommend some movies for us that we can catch on streaming. Um, so we can start kind of having more interaction with you guys. We love you guys. Those that you who listen. Um, if you aren't following us on Twitter, you can follow us at critics NT cynics. Uh, like Leslie said, you know, write in about um, your experience for your bigger cities uh, you can write into the podcast with your response to her questions at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. You can just find us as, at the Critics Not Cynics podcast. And as always, it would always be helpful if you would rate and review the podcast on iTunes uh, or whatever um, podcast service you're using. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Podbean. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We are also on uh, Spotify. We are on Google Podcasts. We might be on Pandora now. I know I did some stuff to get us uh, our RSS feed over there, but I do not know for 100%. Um, but as always, guys, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on the next one.